Good morning and welcome. Glad that everyone's here today. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, even an hour early. So this morning our uh, Bible reading is in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So if you want to take a moment and turn in your Bibles and follow along or watch on the screens, we'll get started here. Oh, I'm John McKinney. I serve as an elder here in the church, so if I haven't met you, feel free to come up and say hi. On one occasion, while the the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Good morning. I'm going to add my welcome. Glad you're here this morning. If you are new, um, my name is Matt Williams. I oversee groups here at LCC, and those groups include everything from, as you heard, uh, women's ministry, men's ministry. We have recovery groups. We have our in-home life groups. I hope you'll be involved in one or more of those. Um, Pastor Brandon has been walking us through the book of Luke, and this morning we fall to Luke 5. And in addition to what John read, I want you to have your Bibles ready because we're going to break this up into chunks, and we're going to read it as we talk about it. So before we do that, I want to basically give a review of the last four chapters, and they are all pointing to the evidence of both the divine and human nature of Jesus. Fully God, fully man. His birth was foretold to his mother and Joseph by an angel, there's the divine, and yet he also came into the world as a little baby, human. You also have the fact that he was baptized, like so many others, by John, and yet when he was baptized, the heavens opened up, the Spirit of God descended on him, the divine. And then you have the fact that he endures 40 days in the desert without food, which is human. You can do that. No one really looks forward to it. But then he actually had the strength to resist the temptations of Satan, the divine. He commands a demon to come out. Anyone can do that, human. The demon comes out divine. He appears as a man, but he has the power of God to do a multitude of healings, one after another after another, that's evidenced in lots of eyewitness accounts. 
fully God, fully man. Today we're going to look at more of the examples of Jesus as the God-man, as he calls his first disciples, cleanses a leper, heals a paralytic, and then he lets the religious leaders know change, deep change is coming. So as we look at chapter 5, keep in mind that the writer, Dr. Luke, is giving us these eyewitness accounts to show that Jesus is God. So what we're about to read isn't necessarily in chronological order, but it is multiple stories of evidence, one after another, pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. So be listening here. While this took place over 2,000 years ago, the thing that is beautiful about God's word is it's applicable to us today as the people of God. So be listening for how these stories of Jesus' humanity and divinity can apply to you today, right now. So here's what we're going to go through, talking about how you can hear his call, experience his healing touch, receive his forgiveness of sin, and bring newness to your life. So chapter 5 of Luke, starting with the first 11 verses, you heard John read that. Here's a brief synopsis. Jesus teaching from the boat. And then, after the finish of his teaching, he turns to Peter and says, put out in the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answers, Master, we toiled all night. It's daylight savings time. We did it an hour early, too. (laughs) And at your word, though, he says, after we toiled all night and took nothing, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So Jesus is speaking from Peter's boat. It's daytime. Peter knows fishing. He knows that fish under the cover of night will come into the shallows to be caught with a net made to catch fish in the shallow water. However, Peter also knows that Jesus ain't no regular guy. He's been seeing him heal people up to this point. Fact is, in just earlier chapter, he saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law of a bad fever. So he has reason to believe it's just like you and me. He's tired. He's worked all night. He's beat. He's caught nothing. And now Jesus, the non-fisherman, says, let's go out. Let's go fishing during the daytime. And let's try again. Now think about how this relates in our life. Because as Peter responds, at your word, I will. It's Peter's obedience in the face of doubt that opens the door for the miracle. It's Peter's obedience. Because think about this in our own lives. When we see circumstances that aren't lining up right, we see conditions that don't seem very likely, the timing appears wrong, we're saying... Just, no, God, I don't, I don't see this happening. Jesus, though, says it. Peter does it. And all of a sudden, there's this catch of fish that shows Peter that Jesus is even in charge of the fish of the sea. The one lesson here, and this whole chapter is full of things that we're going to have to leave on the table, but here in this particular section, I want to focus in on obedience. Because it's through obedience that we will hear Jesus' call. 
It's only when we're obedient to what we already know Jesus has asked us to do that we receive, we experience Christ's power in our life. We see life change. Truly miraculous things happen. I can tell you how that looked in my life just recently. Um, My wife Joni and I were out doing errands one day, and one of those errands was to go to the post office in Atascadero. So we pull up in the parking lot, and I guess we got there at a slow time because there's like only three other cars in the parking lot. Joni goes in, and I stay in the car. And I glance to the left, and about 50 yards off at the end of the parking lot is a guy sitting in a wheelchair by himself, no one else. And I think, mm-hmm. kind of odd. And I think about it, I go, oh, you know what? He, he's probably waiting for a ride. So I'm just sitting there. Now, here's the thing. Even though he's 50 yards off, when I look down that way, he's looking at me. He's looking right at me. It's like, hmm, eh. You know, I'm not really sure. I don't know the story. So then I think as he's there for a little while, I think, oh, wait a minute. Is he holding a sign? Is he asking for something? No. Ah, oh, well, he must be there for a ride. And in that small, still moment, Jesus says, go talk to him. No. Now, if it were Brandon, he would have, you know, done a foot race with me. Come on, I'll be there first. It's like, I'm not that man. And I say that for your sake as well, because I know that a lot of us would not immediately say, sure, let's go, let's go talk to the guy, let's see what we can do. And I say to myself again, (laughs) I'm saying to the Lord too, no, he's waiting for a ride, minutes pass by, and again, Jesus says, you need to go talk to him. I said, but Lord, look, we're just here for stamps, Joni's in mailing a package, she's going to come out any second, and we're going to go, the guy's waiting for something. Jesus says, yeah, he's waiting for you. Okay. So in that moment, quick prayer. <sighs> With the argument going on inside, Lord, what, if, what am I getting myself into? What if um, he does need help and, and, I, and I can't lift him into the car? Will his wheelchair fit into the car? Um, you know, when you argue with God, you lose. Well, you should lose. And at the bottom of it all, I say, okay, Lord, because you asked, I will. But I really don't want to. And I prayed for the Spirit to give me words, and I moved in his direction. So I went over, introduced myself to him, and, he, and I asked him, I said, are you waiting for a ride? Please say yes, please say yes. And he said, no. He said, I'm out of money. He said, um, he needs a one-night stay in the local hotel, and that he's waiting for his government check, which will arrive the next day, but he needs money for today. Now, since the hotel, if you know the area, the hotel is just a couple doors down from the post office. So I go, okay, well, let's wheel down there, see what God wants me to do. So as we get down there, turns out the hotel clerk knows the guy, confirms his story that he has a room there, and that he's short one night. Now, I'd like to tell you at this point, we, I pray with him, and he accepts Jesus, and he throws his wheelchair away, and he's healed, and it's an amazing story. But that's, that, no, that's not what happened. I did have a chance to share Jesus with him, and we swapped phone numbers, and I paid for his night stay, but that was it. While Peter's story, and the story we read in Scripture, the miracle happened at the end of Peter's story. His obedience led to this miraculous catch of fish. My story, the miracle happened at the beginning of the story, because God showed up. God spoke. God told me very clearly 
what I was to do. And when you hear the call of Jesus, when Jesus moves on your heart, that's God showing up. That's divine intervention. That's something that every one of us should be listening for, looking for. And though I didn't want to and I didn't feel like it, I'm saying this for your sake as well as mine, you got to let that stuff go. That's the enemy wanting to come in and shame you. It's like, oh yeah, you call yourself a Christian. You, you won't even go there and talk to the guy. I knew I'd been prompted. I had been given instructions. Go talk to him. And as I said, I prayed in that moment for the Spirit's power. <clears throat> and I told him one more time, I really don't want to do this. His Spirit moved me to action. And here's the thing that's so humbling. I had all these reasons. I had told him why. Why I can't do this, why I can't do that, why I can't do this, and why I shouldn't do that. And then that convicting voice, that still small, gentle, and so kind, he comes in, he said, would you do it for me? Would you, would you do it for me? It's like, oh, of course, after everything that you've done for me. John 14, 16, Jesus tells us his spirit's within us. He lives within us. So believers, here's the challenge. Are we listening for that voice? He will give us the power that we need to act on what he asks us to do. As Peter said, at your word, I will. And the miraculous thing is the spirit's within us. We'll hear his call in our life. We will sense his direction. We'll experience his power as we obey him. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, Jesus speaking, if you love me, you'll do what I ask. Now keep in mind, he loves you. He knows what's best for you. And he knows what to ask you to do. So when you hear his call, let his love be your motivation to do what he asks. The second chunk of scripture, I'm going to read it for you. It's Luke 5. If you have your Bibles, join in here. Luke 5, verses 12 through 15. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Again, there's a whole lot here, but we're going to focus in on the leprosy and the healing. Suffice it to say that leprosy is a very nasty skin disease. It eats away at the flesh and leaves stumps where there used to be hands and feet. Your face would be grossly disfigured from the flesh-eating disease. You'd have these sores all over your body. And from what I read about leprosy, you stink because of the flesh being eaten. It was literally a living death. The Old Testament was very strict about the rules about leprosy because it was so infectious. And I think the most terrible thing about leprosy, maybe the physical side, is the fact it's the isolation. In the Old Testament, it's in Leviticus 13, it gave very specific instructions as to what the leper had to do. One of the things was they had to cry, unclean, unclean, wherever they went. In other words, speaking shame about themselves. It goes on to say that they were to live alone in a habitation outside the camp. 
So you were banished from society, you were exiled from your family and your home, and the result, of course, the psychological, the spiritual, the physical consequences of leprosy took a heavy toll. And flat out, the leper was hated. And you can imagine with that, coupled with self-loathing, I'm sure they would begin to hate themselves. And this is the kind of person that Jesus said, come to me. He was unclean, covered in disease, and Jesus touched him, healed him. Can you see how the leper and I, the leper and you, uh, might be the same? Because the leper did not ask for leprosy any more than you and I asked to be sinners. And yet, Speaking for myself, there are times that I go on sinning, and even though I don't like the sin that I'm involved in, I often don't do anything to be relieved of that sin. I just carry on thinking, well, this is my life. This is me. I'm just this way. I'm, just, I'm always angry. That's just who I am, you know? Or I just keep going on with my pride or my bitterness, resentment, selfishness. You know, it's the way it is. I mean, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and, you know, someday, yeah, uh, yeah, I lie occasionally. You know, what's the big deal? Yeah, some, maybe some gossip or slander. Pick your poison. It's in here. Lust, malice, victim mentality, woe is me. All of these soul-eating practices result in spiritual and psychological consequences that steal our joy. It's the leprosy of living inside of Christ without letting him touch us. Steals our joy, kills our desires, and keeps us from the freedom that Christ promises. Jesus didn't pull away from the leper, and he won't pull away from you. I don't want you going through life thinking he won't lean in. He reaches out. Another part of the New Testament, he says, come to me. Come to me. Not only touches us, but cleanses us. Jesus touches those who may see themselves as untouchable, unforgivable, despicable. He's willing to touch you. I titled this section, Experiencing His Healing Touch. The question I have is, will you put yourself in a place where he can touch you? If you're angry all the time, will you put yourself where you can be touched by his counsel, his word, or maybe by those who know how to apply the word to your life in that way? If you're addicted to a substance or to pornography, will you put yourself in a place where you can be touched through the help of others who've gone before you, who have been there, who are now living in victory over that addiction? If you really want your marriage to be the delight of your life, will you put yourself in a place where you can receive coaching, counseling? What about your finances? your work ethic, your attitude. Will you let him touch you with his spirit and with his people? We, the people of Jesus, are here to do it together. Are you in need of being poured into? There's no shame in it. We have recovery groups to help you. We have other resources and people who will reach back if you'll reach out. I assure you, there is hope. 
I don't know where you are, but I know I've been at the bottom and said, no, there's no hope for me. There's help. There is healing. There's healing in Jesus. You can experience his healing touch. Next check here. Next chunk of scripture, Luke 5, verses 16 through 26. Receive his forgiveness of sin. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. The glorified God were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today, except the Pharisees and Sadducees. There's a whole lot going on in this famous scene, and we're going to focus on the part where Jesus is forgiving this man's sin. The Jew, the Hebrew, the Israelites, they coupled sickness and disease with sin. There's a story in John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man, and his disciples turn to him and say, Rabbi, who sinned? his father and mother, or him, that he's born blind. And immediately, Jesus nips that in the bud, and he says, no, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned. God can use anything, but that is not the case here. But I got to tell you, that was the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Well, in this story, we have a really interesting situation because the first thing Jesus says is, your sins are forgiven you. Now, follow me on this because this is a little wordplay. So he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, since sin, disease, abnormalities in their culture were tightly connected, if a man like this guy is suffering as a cripple, they believed it's because he sinned. And that's why Jesus begins by telling the man, man that his sins are forgiven because Jesus wants this guy to know, no, you're not crippled because you sinned. I forgive your sins. However, the real beauty of this story is that this would completely prove the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees to be wrong. For if this man had sinned and was lame because of it, by their own rules, he can't get up and walk. So now, if this man gets up and walks, his sins are forgiven according to them. And that proves Jesus can forgive sins. And it means that they're sitting in the midst of God in the flesh because only God can forgive sins. And then, of course, he also heals the guy, another evidence of the divinity. So how does this apply to us? In the same way that people back then 
believed wrongly that God caused sickness because of sin, we can believe things that are wrong about God. For instance, do you think that you have done something that God can never forgive? Do you think you're beyond his forgiveness? I wrestled for many, many years about having done something that I couldn't forgive myself for. And that's why I run to his word. Romans 8.1 There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.9 1, one of my favorites because I hope it's one of all of our favorites. If we confess our sin... He is faithful. He is just. He will not only forgive us of our sins, but he will remove all unrighteousness. That's bigger than my mind can wrap around, but it's something my heart can embrace. You can experience and receive his forgiveness of sin. Last section here. Bring newness to your life. Chapter 5, verses 27 through 39. After this, he went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them, and the Pharisees. And the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, it'll be spilled, the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. Can you hear the Pharisees in that one? Why do you keep doing these new things, Jesus? The old way is good. Here we have Jesus calling another disciple. This text calls him Levi, which is his Hebrew name. His Greek name is Matthew. Same Matthew that wrote the book of Matthew. And I'm going to call him Matthew because well, I have a certain, well, affinity to that name. A little ring to it. Of all, the, of all the people in Palestine, the tax collectors were definitely some of the most hated. Palestine was a country subject to Roman rule. Tax collectors had taken service under the Roman government, which therefore made them what? Traitors. Collaborators with the enemy. Committing high treason. Fact is, in their culture, robbers, murderers, and tax collectors were all put in the same category. A tax collector was barred from the synagogue. So he wasn't only seen as a traitor to his country and his people, but he was an outcast to his own faith. 
And yet, there's Jesus choosing the outcast, choosing the hated, choosing the rejected. He chose one of the most despised people to show them and to show us that God came to all people, for all people. And look at the first thing Matthew does. You've got to love this guy. He throws a party. Man, things have happened in my life. I'm celebrating. I want to tell my friends. And look at the first thing here in this feast. Who does he invite? He invites all his fellow tax, tax collectors, not the synagogue guys, all of his friends, all of his outcast friends. He's saying, come here. Something's happened in my life. I got to share this. His first instinct was to share the wonder that had come into his life. Jesus, by inviting him into his circle to become an apostle, had brought a newness to his life. Certainly brought purpose into his life, of which, of course, he didn't fully yet understand, but nonetheless, newness of life. And here's our first application here. We need to share what Jesus has brought into our life, the newness of it all with our friends, with our family. Okay, back to the big feast. There, lurking in the shadows, of course, spying around the corner, we find the rule keepers, the wet blankets of the Jewish culture, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're bent out of shape. Why are you having fun? You know? Why is Jesus feasting with the, these people? Jesus points out that it's only the sick who need doctors, and people like Matthew and his friends were the very people who needed him most. How does this apply to us? This one's simple. How do you see the people around you? One of my common prayer requests in our men's group on Wednesday morning is, guys, I don't love like Jesus loves. I want to love like Jesus loves, but I don't love like Jesus loves, and I want to. Because when I see people too often, there are times when I see them, I don't know, from a judgmental standpoint. You sinner, quit sinning! Mm, that doesn't make much sense, does it? I mean, here we are in this situation where I challenge you to ask yourself, how do you see sinners? How do you see other people? Do you see them as needing help or judgment? When the world is doing what it does, living in sin, do we serve up a heap and helping of condemnation, contempt? Or do we see someone needing love? Do we see the guy in the wheelchair? I don't know. Let's go down and find out what it is. Someone who needs help to find the right way? We're looking for a way to bring newness into their life through Jesus? The scribes and the Pharisees continue their rant. They're complaining. Now they're talking about more rules. They say, the disciples of John fast often, offer prayers. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, your, your people eat and drink. Jesus comes back to the idea that he's come to restore the rift between God and man and to put them back together in a loving relationship. Here Jesus compared the Christian life to a wedding feast. Verse 34, he says, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom's with them? Jesus is the groom. And later we find out that we, the people of Jesus, are his bride. This is a new concept to those listening. They haven't heard this before. This newness of life he's talking about that's going to come through his power 
going to come through his life, going to come through his teaching, coming through all these evidences of his healing power. This is uh, demonstrating that something new is coming and it will be separate and it will be different from the old. So to make the point, he tells him a parable. Verse 36, no one tears a piece from a new garment, puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new. The piece from the new will not match the old. The new garment is the new way, which is grace through faith in Jesus. And it won't fit the old garment, which is the old way following the law. Verse 37, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, will be spilled, skins will be destroyed. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. No one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, Pharisees, no, the old is good. Pharisees sticking to the old, Jesus saying something new is coming. The lesson from both of these examples, both the garment and the wine, this new way coming, it's a new way to approach God. And it's going to be by grace through faith in Jesus. And this new way is not going to be a patch on the old way. And we have to be careful here because we're not going to throw out the Old Testament. When Jesus establishes his church, we the people of Jesus, it's a new and separate approach to God. It's the gospel. Jesus going to the cross for all of us to take away the sin of the world because the old way was the law. And as we don't throw out the Old Testament because Jesus fulfilled that law. But at the same time, we got to be careful that we don't try to mix it in to the new teaching that Jesus did which was to fulfill the law. You see, his sacrifice on the cross, that satisfied what God required for the forgiveness of sins. So that now, he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No more sacrifices. No more need of a priest to go before God before you. You can go directly to the Father through the Son and have that relationship that brings newness to your life. So now that we've looked at these verses... Explain little parts and pieces of each one. I have a few questions to ask. Because in the first story, the first section of Scripture, I titled, Hear His Call. When Jesus calls his first disciples to follow him, I wonder and I ask, have you heard the call to follow him? Have you responded by giving your life to him, to trust him, to guide you, to direct your life? In the section I titled, Experience His Healing Touch, have you experienced His healing touch? Have you? Have you let the Holy Spirit begin to do His work in you, to begin to change your heart, replacing that heart of stone, as Ezekiel says, to a heart of flesh, to know His Word, to be free from what holds you down? What about the story of the paralytic? I titled, Receiving His Forgiveness of Sin. Have you asked Jesus to wash you clean? Have you asked him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? And for you as a believer, let me ask, are you walking in repentance and forgiveness every day, truly turning from the sin that so easily entangles? And last, bring newness to your life. Are you living in such a way that Jesus has full rule, full reign over your day-to-day -day life? Because when he does, you're going to experience that newness 
that change from the inside out. I want to wrap it up this way. I want to be really practical in this. In your relationship with Jesus, how will you get from where you are to where Jesus wants to lead you? Where are you right now in your walk with Jesus? And we'll see if I can illustrate it in a couple of ways. On this discipleship wheel that uh, Pastor Brandon brought up last week, I'm going to make it practical this way. Let's look at the people we just talked about in this scripture. Let's look at these people and see where they might be on this wheel, okay? So for instance, let's talk about Peter. Where would you put Peter on this wheel? And I would probably say that he's probably an infant. He didn't know much, but he was willing to follow Jesus and learn. And then if we put the leper on the wheel, where would you put the leper? Because I think that probably as a child, of course, he was thinking of himself. What about the paralytic? I don't know about the paralytic, but I do know this. I'll tell you that his friends were probably young adults because they were thinking of others. They were thinking of him. They brought him to Jesus. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector. I'm guessing that he was probably in there, maybe an unbeliever who switched to a young believer very quickly. Where are you? Are you a believer? Invited Christ into your life? Are you an infant? Ready to be poured into? Maybe you're stuck in the child phase, still thinking too much about the I, me, my, what I want, where I want to go, what I want to do, still wrestling with getting past some of the habits that hold you back. Or have you been following Jesus for a long time as a young adult or as a parent that you know his word, deep in faith, you're ready to pour into others? This is just a visual aid. Don't get too caught up as to where you are on the wheel But do think about where are you in your relationship with Jesus. It's really important because there's always a next step. Jesus always wants us to be growing, growing closer to him, step by step. All healthy things are growing. All growing things are changing. How's he changing you? My encouragement is this. No matter where you are, take the next step. If you need to understand more about Jesus and what he did for you, we can help you with that. Find out more about the cross, shed blood, sanctification, all that, we can help you. If you're ready to grow from the infant stage, we can help you. We can pour in. This church, we the people, we're here to do this together. It's one of the reasons that we stress groups. We all grow in groups. We all grow when we spend time together with God's people. It's why we stress coaching, mentoring, discipleship, because we're in this together. We're supposed to walk this out together. We're supposed to confess our sins one to another inside of a close, intimate group. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. If you're out there on your own, not involved in a group, I assure you, you're struggling or you've just given up because we're supposed to do this together. So where? Where are you going? What's your next step? I don't know, but I'd ask you to look into it.
in your bulletin online, there's a listing of all of our groups. Find the one that sounds like maybe that's your next step. If you don't know, come talk to me at the connection booth afterwards. We'll talk about it. We're here to help. We're here to do this together. We, the people of Jesus. Take the next step. If there's one of those times where I can speak for God with assurance, he wants to lead you to the next step he has for you. And he knows best. Let's pray. Jesus, you knit us together in our mother's womb. You knew of us before even that moment. You made us, you know us, our heart, our mind, our soul. You know what's best for us, and I rejoice at that because I have also tried to do it on my own and failed. And I rejoice in the fact that each one of us here that know you can step into your presence with confidence, knowing we're going to find the grace we need, the mercy that we so much need, and forgiveness. Lord Jesus, have your will and way in our lives. Show us what that next step is. Connect us with the people that can help us. Show us in your word. We believe, Lord Jesus, that you want what's best and you know what's next. Show us that, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. We're going to take a time for communion. In the next few minutes as Podge plays, would you reflect on some of the things that we've talked about, some of the questions I was asking Would you ask God not only about what's the next step, but where are you? Where are you with your relationship with Jesus? And maybe there's some things that you can give up to God right now before we take communion.